You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. We're studying the book of James, we believe was written by the brother of Jesus, and unsurprisingly, being flesh and blood of our Savior who asked so many questions, James leads his readers through questions, 24 questions in this letter. James knows that faith ought to be practical, it ought to make a difference in everyday life, and so he asks these persistent questions to get us to reflect on how we live and how's that working. He's hoping that we will find fresh answers in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Today we're going to jump ahead to chapter 4, where James asks questions about conflict. Conflict. Everybody has it. The question is, how do we handle it and how's that working? Uh, would you open up your Bibles to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6? And if you didn't bring one, grab the pew Bible there, please, in the rack in front of you and turn to page 982. And uh, if you are able, would you please stand and uh, let's read this text aloud together. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is for nothing that the Scripture says, God yearns jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us all the more grace, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. Twenty-six years ago, a Palestinian Israeli was teaching students who were both Palestinian and Israeli. And Uh, 26 years ago, about 1990, was the tail end of the Intifada, the Palestinian uprising uh, in the Middle East. And the Palestinians were asking this teacher, what do the Israelis think? And the Israelis were asking this teacher, what do the Palestinians think? This teacher was confronted by the depth of polarization and even hatred uh, between these two uh, groups of students. And in this moment... Uh, He was tired of the perpetuating conflict in the Middle East, and he decided that he had to do something about it. And that teacher is here with us today. Uh, Dr. Salim Munayer is known to many of us, has uh, shared with us uh, before from the pulpit, and uh, he's here in town for a conference at SPU and also has very graciously offered to share a little bit of his learnings about conflict with us uh, this morning. Dr. Munayer is a global leader. He's known around the world for his work of reconciliation in the Middle East. Salim is the founder and director of 
Musalaha Reconciliation Ministries, uh, an organization that helps apply the teachings of Jesus to conflict and that brings Israelis and Palestinians together and helps them discover what they share. Salim is an author and a professor at Bethlehem Bible College where he has also served as a dean. He holds degrees from the University of Wales, Fuller, Pepperdine, Tel Aviv. It's an amazing privilege uh, to have him share with us today. Please welcome Dr. Salim Munayer. Salim, was there a moment in your life when you became aware of conflict in the world, personally? Uh, I am Palestinian Christian with Israeli citizenship, born in the city of Lida, a lot next to the Tel Aviv airport. My family is part of the indigenous Christian community in the land. As a matter of fact, we see ourselves in the time of Pentecost. And during 1948 war, the city of Lida got conquered by the Israeli army, and the people were uh, basically after him, killing and shooting and massacre, were driven out of the city. So I born the post-traumatic era of what's happened in the land in 1948, where my family lost quite a bit of people, land, and they became refugees in their own hometown. A Christian community, your father's uh, Jacob, Yaakov? Yes, Jacob, yes. And he, where did the family go from there? Well, the, when the army came and told them that they have to leave their home, they found refuge in a church that my grand-grand-grandfather built. It's called St. George. St. George. Yeah, I like the sound yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I was trying not to say it. <laughs> I'm working on my humility. This is yes, a bad week for me. Yes, yes. Do you ride horses? Uh, used to. Do you kill dragons? Uh, not yet. Well, that's what St. George did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and St. George is a patron of England, as you know. And uh, many times in the family we joke and we say, where are the dragons, inside of us or outside? Good question. Yeah, so let's go with that question because uh, James here in chapter 4 is asking us questions. And he says, those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war uh, within you? So in your work with conflict, how meaningful are these questions that James is raising here? Uh, it's very important. As a matter of fact, uh, in the context, there are two aspects of it. Uh, many times we come to religious leaders to get an answers for questions, or our religious leaders come and give answers. Mm -hmm. And here James are challenging us to look and to see that, and to take responsibility for our contribution to conflict. And one of the most important aspects in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that we have discovered, it's what we call in Musalaha victimization mentality. Victimization we are mentality. mentality. Yes. Tell us about that. Uh, victimization mentality, if you talk about the Jewish community, Palestinian community, the, our his history uh, uh, is full of pain, and especially with the Jews, with the Holocaust, and with the Palestinians, with Nakba, what I have dis uh, described happened to my family. What's the uh, word you use for that? An, an Nakba, disaster. Nakba, disaster. Uh, that's a formative 
uh, in Palestinian historical uh, identity oh. as the Holocaust in the Jewish uh, historical identity and Nakba is that formative, most important aspect in Palestinian. So history. both of these communities have been victims and yeah. have narratives. Oh yes, but they become, but the but the victimization mentality lead to three things: uh, fatalistic view, we will never have peace. You cannot. Then you move and you shift the responsibility for the continuous of the conflict on the other. We don't have a partner for peace. So you don't take any responsibility for your contribution. And the third aspect of it is that we don't feel with the pain of the others. I'm, I'm, when I try to explain to my Israeli friends what it's mean to live in Bethlehem during the summer months without water, confined behind the walls, they excuse, justify, explain. When I try to explain to Palestinian a Jewish fear of terror, they say, well, we don't have any army, we don't have any weapons, and we don't have America stand on our side. So this is the only weapon we use. So there's a way of, of, of taking responsibility away from myself and pushing it onto the other, uh, other person. I, and I suppose it's genuine that in our conflict, sometimes we are just victims. We have, we, we're not necessarily complicit in what happened to us, and yet this victimization mentality suggests that even if we were to be, in some abstract sense, pure victims, uh, that doesn't mean we don't have responsibility for peacemaking. There's always something we can do, whereas the victimization mentality sort of absolves ourselves yeah. of responsibility. And, and, and we, in every conflict, we are not only a victim. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, in my relationship with my wife, I think this helps me. Uh, I, I might, I, I'm constantly trying to improve her, make her a better spouse. You know, I give her lots of advice, and she really appreciates that. Yeah. Uh, yes, but what you're saying is, b b maybe I should consider my part in the, that, uh, take responsibility for my part. And it's that more I, than that. If you change, she will change. If I change, she will change. Yes. Uh oh. I hope there's some good news here somewhere along the way. <laughs> Is she here? No, she's not here. She's on the women's retreat, but she'll be here this evening, okay, so you'll get so to meet we'll talk her. to her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, can you help her? Yeah, no, help you. Help. <laughs> All right, you better pray for me. Yes. Well, this is interesting. Um, he asked a second question. Do these conflicts and disputes not come from your cravings that are at war within you? Mm. Uh, this seems to speak about an inter, an inner conflict. It's almost as though he's saying, um, you look at your external conflicts, but I wonder if you're paying attention to the conflict inside of your soul. Mm -hmm. What do you make of that? You know, one of the things that we uh, have discovered through our studies in, about conflict, um, there are people in conflict because they don't have meaning of life, lack of meaning, you'll see it demonstrated by angry people, as you saw in the videos on the PowerPoint. Angry people, when people are angry, that means they don't have a meaning of life. When people are sad, there's no connections, there is no community to support them. When people are in fear, that means they have lack of the possibility to find security in the community. When people are depressed because they are not having the ability to change life, to take action. And, and the most important things in the Middle East is recognition. 
And when you don't recognize the validity of the other people, the denial of the existence, for example, of the Palestinian people, you take something that creates in people shame, and when you have all of that, that causes people to move into a violent. So that was amazing. And this is something that all those issues, as James is saying, if you try to achieve it in your own way, that will lead to killing. But if we turn into a God, if we turn into the community of faith, this is where we will find recognition. This is where we'll find connectedness. This is where we find meaning of life. And I think we, as a church, we have lost that aspect, not only turning into God, but also to understand in the community of faith, we also will find of people of faith, those issues that we look for. So I want to go back and start, because you've talked to me about this before. These are five unmet needs you just yes. went through yeah. that are fundamental needs that I assume that all of us have to find some solution for, some, yes. something to address or fulfill. You, you mentioned meaning, connectedness, yeah. security. Action and a- recognition. Action and recognition. So those are five fundamental needs that you see, and you're saying... Uh, those are inner needs, and, and when we don't allow God to be our satisfaction for those needs, or the community, the Christian yes. community, mm-hmm. then we tend to extract yeah. something from, and this leads to conflict. It's, it's like somebody that doesn't look into God to find meaning of life, and he's trying, and, he, and he's climbing Mount St. Helen, and after he climbed Mount St. Helen, that is not enough. He, he's all the time looking for the next mountain, mm. and nothing satisfies his craving. Interesting. So these are good things. Climbing Mount St. Helen is a good mm, thing, but in terms great. of ultimate like meaning, do, it's not going to... You're not going to find it there. I see. Okay. Or in drugs, or in sex, or in money, or fame. All those things are not going to meet answer to those inner being, inner meaning, needs for that, because we are created in God's image and likeness, and as a result, the only place we find our meaning to life in him, that he has created us. So you're describing the dynamics of conflict, or James is describing them yeah. in a very complex way, saying you gotta find your part in the conflict. You gotta find a way of understanding how you are a contributor to the conflict. Um, what's your part there? And it's deep. It has to do with our inner needs and where we go for them. Sounds like uh, we shouldn't be surprised that conflict is so intractable, both in the world and in our lives. Where do you find hope, Salim, as, as you face just horrific conflict on a daily basis? Where's our hope? In conflict. Really? Because conflict shows us something is not right. Like when you temperature, body temperature go high, um, and you realize there's something wrong with your body, you go to the doctor. So conflict coming to present for us something that we as a people of God need to do something about it. Mm. And conflict is calling us for change and conflict calling us also to show mercy and compassion to others. Conflict is opportunity that given to us from God to bring his love, his justice to the world that is broken. Wow. I never thought about conflict as an opportunity to experience love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it drives us towards Jesus. It has to because, um, because in intractable conflict 
or I'll put it like this, every conflict, the first injury is your personal identity and your collective identity. And in order to, to be in reconciliation, your, your personal individual identity and community identity has to be transformed. And the transformation happens when you realize that you are a child of God and you realize the essence and the importance of the incarnation that he came to us in order to show us, in order that we see, touch, feel, and feed on him. Mm. When we feed on him, this is where transformation happens. There's a theme in the Bible uh, that goes all the way from the beginning to end, and it is that human beings, apart from Jesus Christ, are, are fundamentally in conflict with God. Yes. Somehow. Enmity. There's enmity between yeah. us and God. We don't see ourselves that way, I think, we're in so the 21st century. So nice people. We're nice people. We're enlightened. Yeah. We're well-educated. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so we have no objection with God. If God has a problem with us, it's his problem, not our problem. And yet James is saying, no, that's not the case. We are all rebels. We're running from God. There's inner conflict must be resolved as a primary experience of, of reconciliation, mm -hmm. reconciliation with God. The recons uh, you know, when um, uh, Paul was going to Damascus to chase the Christians, the disciples, Jesus asked him, uh, why you are persecuting me? It's really important because sin against a brother or sister is sin against God. Wow. Because in the first letter of John chapter 4, um, verse 20, uh, John is telling us and saying, how can you say that you love God you don't see and you hate a brother or sister that you see? You are a liar. Confession of faith, Deuteronomy chapter 6, hear, O Israel, love God with all your heart. And because we are created in God's image and likeness, the most important aspect of it that each one of us are created of God by God. Let me illustrate that. You can tell an Arab man a lot of things, but if you say something about his mother, you are in trouble. I, I think it's also a new culture. I hope so. Yeah, right. We like to honor our mothers, but we maybe yeah. not do it as well as Arabs do. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so when you, we basically what John says, if you commit sin against your brother or sister, you belong to the father of all lies, Satan. Well, so, because the father cares pretty deeply about these children of his. Yes. I, I'm a father. You are a father. If someone come and attack your children, you'll do everything to protect them, mm. if you can. Mm. So when the apostle, well, before he was, he was Saul of Tarsus, yes, Saul he's, of Tarsus of he's, he's persecuting people, <clears throat> yes. and Jesus comes and steps in and saying, why are you persecuting me? You have a primary hostility in your life. You're a conflict with me. Yeah, you're and even though he was a rabbi. Yes. He was a very educated, learned, pious man. You know, because James say, if James is writing to believers, to Christians, he's saying, you are murdering. It's a really strong word. And there's a whole argument. Is, is James writing to Christian or non-Christian groups? And in our church, Christian history, we did nice things to each other. We haven't done nice things to each other. I mean... By killing each other. Yeah, no, I don't think that's very nice. Well, um, he asked two more questions here. There are actually four by my count. In verse 5, he moves on. He says, or verse 4, he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And then he, he makes himself out to be a uh, jilted lover. 
This yeah. is God speaking. God yearns, verse 5, jealously uh, for the spirit he uh, yeah. made. So what's he doing there, do you think? I think like the prophet Hosea challenged the children of Israel at this time, he's saying to them, uh, you think that Baal, the, the God, the, the Canaanite God, is the suppliers of, of the agriculture good, that Baal is supply, supplying all your wheat and, and, uh, and worshiping earth and worshiping all the other things, not God, the creator, the supplier of all good things. Yeah. And, and, he, and God is saying to Hosea, go and marry a prostitute in order for you to, to know that God is very jealous for your response to my love. Mm-hmm. I love you. I care for you. I renew the earth every day. We were singing, praising God for his creation. God is just saying, just acknowledge that I am the creator. It's almost like he's saying, I think, you're married to the creator. Oh, yes. The, the, and, and yet you're dating the world. Yes. You're looking for your needs in all these other places. Uh, in, in the, in, in the uh, mm-hmm. day of Hosea, it's, it's Baal and his promises. Yes. In our day, it's the things we mentioned earlier. Yes. Fame and sex and these kinds. Of, we're trying to meet these fundamental needs. God says, why would you date? Why would you date when you've got the one source? The ultimate. The ultimate source. And I'm married to you. Because in the biblical imagery, the relationship between the people of God and God is marriage. Mm -hmm. When you turn to somebody else, is adultery. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason that we have Hosea. I wonder if you could give us an example where in your ministry you've seen Jesus do this work in someone's life. Maybe they've come to take their acknowledge and own their part in the conflict. But then they find their place in God, and that begins to shift the dynamics of the conflict. Yeah. Um, a young man that came 20 uh, years ago to the Bible college, he came from prison. He, he grew up in the old city of Jerusalem, the Christian family. One day walked in the street, got beaten by the police, and he said, if I get beaten by the police for not doing anything, I'm going to join and do something about that. So I'll deserve the beating, kind of. <laughs> so he joined the Communist Party, and he was very much involved in the First Intifada. And he was several times in jail until a brother came to him and witnessed to him, and he became a believer. And he came to my class, and I see the bruises. I see broken man coming to the Bible college. And after a few months, I invited him to go to one of our reconciliation desert encounters where we, have, uh, we go to the desert and find a forum to develop relationship and trust between Israeli and Palestinian. And, and when he was in the desert, he developed very close, intimate relationship with his Jewish brothers from the other side. And that transformed his life, and today he is the president of Bethlehem Bible College. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Yeah, I, from being in prison. From, from being, prison to the president's president. office, not yeah. bad. I mean, to, the credit, of course, got to him, too. He made the right choices. He, he was nothing. Uh, yes, yeah, go ahead. I love what you do. If you're, not, if you're unfamiliar with uh, this ministry, 
Uh, Salim takes uh, uh, Israelis and Palestinians into the wilderness, mm -hmm. and they, they, you, you pair them up. So if you have 30 people, you have 15 Israelis, 15 Palestinians. Each pair, an Israeli and a Palestinian, will sit on the back of a camel and go on a three-day journey into the wilderness yes. to try to get to know each other, see what they have in common. Uh, what happens, what do you see happening in the wilderness? I mean, this is a fascinating story. Uh, three things, uh, mainly. The wilderness is a place where people in power, privileges, lose it. Yeah. You know, the makeup disappears. Mm. You cannot play games. Mm. Uh, that, and you discover that the other is a human being created in God's image. Because after two days, you smell like camel. Uh, <laughs> you both uh, do. You've got that in common. That's in common. <laughs> yeah, the sweat and all of that. <clears throat> but there are three lessons, important lessons in the desert. The first lesson, when you hate someone, it's like drinking a glass of poison, anticipating your enemy to die. Mm. The quietness of the desert raises all the pain. When you don't forgive, it's like going into a jail, locking in the door, having the keys in your hand and complaining about it. You are tied to your past. You cannot enjoy God in the present and you don't have hope for the future because you are in our forgiveness. But the most important lessons is of the desert that you discover who you are in your enemy face. Mm. Your enemy is the source of your survival. How the Jews are going to treat the Palestinian, how the Palestinian would, will treat the, the Jews will determine the future of those people. So to a large degree, this is the reason Jesus all the time taught us, love your enemies. Mm -hmm. You see, <clears throat> your enemy can tell us things about us and what we do to them that we don't want to like. It's the reason we kill them. We avoid them, we run away. Sometimes we have church splits. You don't have in the Presbyterian church. Split. Never in the Presbyterian Never church. In the Presbyterian church. <laughs> we avoid, we split, we move on. But really, we don't solve the problem. Mm -hmm. In your enemy, you will find your God. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that, Selene. Let's well, pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus Christ, we have to confess that we have lived lives that have um, not pleased you. We've run from you and, frankly, run at you. There is enmity between us and you. So we thank you that you have come for us in love, that you embrace us in your grace. We thank you that we have learned who we are in your face. We've learned the truth about ourselves, that we're beloved daughters and sons of the great high king who have been pardoned and given the gift of everlasting life and the privilege of being ambassadors of reconciliation. But we also have to confess we don't know how to find peace, not with one another. And so we pray for one another this day. We pray for the person on our right and on our left that you will hear their prayer for peace in their conflicts. And then we bind our hearts together and we pray with Salim, for peace, for the peace of Jerusalem, for peace in the Middle East. And we pray that you will bless him and his ministry and all of those who are working for peace side by side in that land. And we pray that somehow you might call us to join with him. We pray it 
in your name, Jesus, and we pray that you'll get all the credit. Amen. Amen. We have uh, some of Dr. Meneyer's books on the book table in Larson Hall. I invite you to go up there after the service, but would you join me in thanking Thank Dr. Meneyer for his ministry? Thank you so much. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.